Hey, y'all. This is Jonathan Martin welcoming you back to another edition of the Zeitcast. Today, I was going to feature an episode where I was going to talk with one of my best friends, Dr. Chris Green, a wonderful theology professor, along with the voice you just heard a few weeks ago, our great friend and theologian, Dr. Brad Jerzak, uh, doing a bit of a theological review of David Bentley Hart's new book, That All Shall Be Saved. I thought that would be fun on the heels of the really enjoyable conversation with Dr. Hart. Unfortunately, Chris is not feeling well today, so y'all pray for him. I certainly am, although we are hoping that we're going to, still going to be able to record that conversation first thing tomorrow morning and go ahead and get that right on out to you guys. In the meantime, been sitting with this a bit today. I just flew in from New Orleans back to Oklahoma City late last night and thinking about the fact that this podcast is, of course, called The Zeitcast, uh, riffing on the word zeitgeist, this whole notion of speaking to the mood of the moment, the thing beneath the thing. And while I love some of the broad culture stuff we've been doing in terms of faith and theology, the idea is that there would be a good bit of pop culture and politics as well. So while I don't want to swing at every pitch and talk about every story that goes down every week, um, that drive me bananas, actually. I did want to give myself the flexibility to do that sometimes, to speak to what's happening in the world. And tonight, um, I just felt like doing that. Uh, I am following, as I imagine most of you are the developing story around President Trump. Of course, a whistleblower came forward uh, saying that the president withheld foreign aid to Ukraine uh, to pressure the country's new president into investigating Joe Biden's son, Hunter, his past business there. Uh, Of course, the president hasn't really denied that. Today, a transcript was released. And now the House is moving forward with this impeachment inquiry. So... um, You know, I've kind of intentionally not gone here a lot lately, partly because, you know, I feel like my own sense of calling in the world, like, is, is, you know, is is fairly broad. And I had several years there to where there were so many things that I really felt honestly led to speak to around the broader Trump phenomenon um, that I was trying to address not just through a political lens, but through a spiritual one in terms of the spiritual dynamics that I've, you know, that I've seen there. Um, a lot of that for several years of my life, you know, and I didn't want to hit the same note all the time. You get to a certain point where you feel like anybody who ha- who can hear you has probably already heard you. And I have a lot of other things I'm interested in, and I don't want to center everything in that way around President Trump or whatever. But at the same time... Um, I think as I continue to think about some of these things and as as I continue to have some of the other conversations that I'm having, and I do meet so many interesting people everywhere I go and hear so many stories, this just is bringing a lot into relief in my mind tonight. I mean, one, you know, so kind of a top level on the story, this whole question of impeachment. I mean, I think kind of right out of the gate, and I don't know if this is going to be controversial to some of you or not. For me, these things are fairly irrefutable. If you followed President Trump's trajectory for any amount of time at all, I mean, there's no, it's just no secret that um, he runs his business like a mob boss, that there's a kind of thuggery that's here. Um, None of that is surprising. Anyone who actually read the Mueller report, um, the obstruction of justice was clear, whether or not you feel like that that's impeachable or if impeachment is is a wise course, because impeachment, of course, is as much a political strategy as it is a legal one. Um, so a lot of implications to that. But I mean, I think like in terms of the thuggery, this this kind of mafia-esque 
way of being. All of that is just open, and people who don't have eyes to see it at this point, I don't know. I don't know what would convince them. So, in a sense, the story is not surprising. Um, my response, in terms of kind of uh, Democrats moving forward, is kind of saying, "Okay." I mean, I think uh, I certainly think that the the situation looks egregious enough, and I certainly do think it's an abuse of power. Again, already kind of an admitted abuse of power, uh, asking a foreign country. Uh, to kind of shake down a political rival. I mean, I, I don't see how that's not unquestionably over the line. I feel like there's so many things in terms of the the bar has been lowered so much in this administration, though. And that's that's part of what I do find almost comical about it, because that's where I kind of enhance my sort of like, okay. Because I feel like there have been so many things that under any other administration, right or left, anything that we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years that would be demonstratively impeachable, uh, in in some ways, this doesn't seem that much more remarkable to me. I mean, I think uh, if you want to read it cynical, uh, cynically, uh, you have one elite coming after another elite, and uh, you know perhaps with Biden's kind of standing among um, establishment sort of Democrats, um, there's more of a sense of we we need to retaliate here or whatever. But I don't think as bad as I think this is. And uh, technically impeachable as it is. I don't know that it's more egregious than a whole lot of other things. Um, than the obstruction of justice than we've seen before. Um, than censoring um, data around global warming. Than uh, policies at the border that involve clear violations of human rights. Um, than um, inciting racist hate speech against political opponents on the other side. I mean, I just, there's so many things around Trumpism is I've tried to narrate these things before that I feel like are completely off the grid of what we've known as right and left, uh, conservative and liberal as broken as that grid is, it's all completely off the grid. And I say this as a person who, because of some of the stuff I've done, the advocacy side knows a number of elected Republicans. And I've had some of these conversations even the last few days there is not an honest Republican that I know. There's not a, an elected Republican that I know that doesn't fairly detest the president who's not scared to death of him behind closed doors, but they're more afraid of their base. And because the party has been bent so much around this kind of populism and around this kind of fear and around um, just all the kind of demonization and the, the rhetoric that's so marked the whole Trump phenomenon, they're afraid too, so they don't stand up. But... Um, Everybody sees it for what it is that's that's in the know, you know, like most people that I know, even again, who are on the right as we know it. It's why so many people are dropping out. I literally just had a conversation with someone the other day who's not running for reelection uh, this next term, precisely because there's so much discouragement of saying like at this point that there's just the, the party around Trump is bending towards a platform of lies. There's just no way to support it anymore. Uh, just completely losing heart and kind of getting out of the game altogether. I, I don't see how any of that is. Within question, you know, so um, and I don't feel like it's it's partisan uh, to to speak about that. Once again, I feel like the bar is so much lower than it's ever been because so many things that would not be tolerable under any administration, you know, are here. But I don't even know that I really want to talk about that so much because, you know, you've got plenty of social political commentators who can kind of, you know, speak to legal philosophy and speak to 
political climate better than I can. I mean, part of, I will say this much. I think part of what's so interesting about the particular moment that we're in is that um, we're kind of in a place now to where the question really isn't anymore. And I actually think this is a, legit, a legitimate question. The question really isn't anymore so much, you know, is the president impeachable? Um, you know, what sh- could be done by the letter of the law? The real issue is kind of in a climate like this one where y- you've already got such a, um, a radicalization that's happening to where you've got people who... Um, are so blinded that they would not necessarily accept the results of a open democratic election if lost. You know, there's already the messaging that if I lose, then it's rigged. And I think that actually is scary. And I think there are real reasons that people have to think about, you know, given that kind of climate. um, Is it expedient? Even if it can be done, should it be done? I think that's a whole, that's a whole conversation that's worth having. And I don't, claim to have any special insight or discernment or wisdom in any of that. What I, what I will tell you is this, because it's always the angle that I'm interested in is beyond the, the stories. What is the story and what is God doing and how even in the chaos might we see something of the spirit at work? What is that narrative that runs beneath all the competing narratives that we're hearing? And here's the one that keeps coming up for me over and over again. As we see this kind of, um, as we see this kind of overt, open authoritarianism within the Trump administration, and we see the extremism of that, the abuses of that, the fruit of that um, within our culture right now, I find it so interesting that um, not only among Trump, but for me as someone who spend so much time and energy within faith communities, within faith spaces, how at the same time that that's been, that that's being exposed and highlighted, and that's what we're grappling with nationally, that the same thing is happen, happening within Christian communities. Um, I'm, imagine a number of you saw this major story in Politico a couple weeks ago about Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University. Some of you know that I have some history there, was banned for life from Liberty University. Uh, but I have no personal animosity towards Jerry Falwell Jr., this is exactly the kind of thing, though, even then that I was trying to highlight, is that there is such an authoritarianism there. Anybody in and around liberty, once again, same thing. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows the tactics of fear. Everybody knows the threatening of people who um, try to speak out that happens among professors who are not tenured, uh, who are not granted access to uh, to give interviews without, you know, getting express permission kind of through the president's office, the way the school paper has been censored, et cetera. Everybody knows that this is how he leads. And one of the things that I wanted to contend about the Trump phenomenon in the last few years is that it wasn't a fluke for Trump to catch such momentum and such fire among white evangelicals in particular, because the kind of authoritarian thing that he embodies is precisely the kind of authoritarianism that we often see in white evangelical structures. So in a way, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect fit. Um, and I want to make a big disclaimer right here. I have seen cultures of, as we might say where I come from, cultures of honor that are appropriate and healthy and that involve honoring not only authority, but honoring 
all. And I think there is a healthy kind of honor where you give honor to where honor is due. And that involves a kind of mutual submission. And that involves a kind of deference to one another and a love for one another that does include leaders. But in honor culture at its most unhealthy um, is precisely kind of what we see being played out on this broader stage and why it's not surprising either to see certain evangelicals and charismatics um, speak for President Trump and excuse a lot of the things that they see is because, you know, there is this theology of influence that, um, you know, God has raised this man up. And if you're the one with the authority and God's given you a title, and if we believe that God has raised you, and by the way, what I think they would say is, why do we believe that God has raised this person up? Because we are people who preach the gospel and he's given us a seat at the table, um, which allows us to preach, to reach more people with the gospel and to come into the halls of power. Therefore, clearly God has raised this person up or there's no way we'd have this kind of access. Boy, that's a really easy way for people to be bought off in the name of Jesus. But I need to save that little rant for another time. Where was I going with this? Yeah. So, but my point for right now is that in many ways, it's a, it's a, it's a culture that's perfectly engineered for all of this. So in that regard, it's not even strange. And what I want to contend is happening right now on a broader scale, whether you're talking about President Trump or whether you're talking about Jerry Falwell Jr., because and I, when we think about what's happening in the church, capital C, especially white evangelical churches in North America in general, is that these authority structures are shaking. And they're shaking for a reason. They're shaking for a reason. They're shaking precisely because they're unhealthy. In the language of the book of Hebrews, all that can be shaken must be shaken. We have to let these things shake. These things have been unhealthy for a long time. That kind of authoritarianism has never been good. Um, We we see this even in the Old Testament, Israel's insistence on wanting a king. And uh, God's. that's the whole kind of um, motif in the King Saul story is God says, okay, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. heard a lot of talk about Trump being God's man. I believe he's God's man too, but just not in the same way that those folks mean. God's man in the sense that when people say, give us a king, God will say, I will give you a king. And I think what that often looks like, right? And this is where I see the judgment of God in this. And and I don't mean that nearly as negatively as it might sound. The judgment of God is always this. God gives us what we want. And God puts the mirror up to us. And so in a way that shows us who we really are, that gives us space to repent, you know? I think that's exactly what happens even in that Old Testament story. And I think that's what's happening now is that uh, God is putting the mirror up. God is allowing us to see these things that are not just broken at the top, but that are broken within systems, that are broken within structures. And it's happened within ecclesial structures, within ecclesiastical structures, every bit as much as in political structures. We have an opportunity to see these things about ourselves. We have an opportunity to search ourselves. And of course, there's a part of that that's scary because these structures, these systems, have been so much of what's kept many of us afloat and what keeps people like me afloat to a point, right? I mean, I'm, you know, white guy, preacher, pastor, etc. I feel the shaking as much as anything else. And I think what happens for many of us is that even if we know some of these foundations are unhealthy, even if we know that a number of these foundations are flawed in some way, it's still a foundation. It still holds us up. Even if it's shaky, it still holds us up. And we don't know what it'd be like for those foundations to be removed, for those foundations to be shaken. 
even if what holds us up may not be, may, as we feel it quivering, shaking, even if we know it's not exactly healthy, it's not exactly right, yeah, but it's still what sustains us and keeps us here, and we're more afraid of what's next. We're more afraid of what comes after. And right now, my sense of it is that there is very much something of, you know, when the Spirit comes, it's often like a wrecking ball. I'll get preachy enough to use the language of Acts 2 right here, that when the Spirit comes, you know, initially, it's as a violent rushing wind. There is a violence to it. There is a violence to the Spirit. There's a disruption before there's an order. When the Spirit comes and fills the upper room and these disciples are all speaking in other tongues, the people outside are bewildered. They're confused and they're bewildered before they're able to hear the praises of God in their own language. The bewilderment, the confusion comes before the clarity. So when bewilderment comes, when confusion comes, that's not always a bad thing. Sometimes exactly what it looks like for the Spirit to come because we've been certain about all the wrong things. We've been clear about all the wrong things. We think that God wants us to be certain when what God actually wants to do is to destabilize us in a way that will make trust necessary again. And that's what I feel like is happening within the world right now. And we see this happening on so many different levels. We see it happening in uh, the whole Me Too movement. Um, we see it happening as financial institutions. Once again, political systems, denominations, all of which are quaking. Now, part of what happens in all this, and let's be clear, is that as these systems are being destabilized and decentralized, that's often messy, okay? That's often messy. And some of the messengers, some of the prophets who will give us this message, some of the people that will embody this kind of critique will not be perfect. And some of what happens may look like and may actually be reactionary, okay? It may, you know, it may not all be perfectly healthy and it raises all kind of new, um, new issues and questions. And there's plenty of things about it that are not worked out, right? Um, you know, I'll be perfectly honest. In the quaking and the shaking in terms of what comes after, there are plenty of things that confuse me and alarm me and I don't necessarily know, you know, how to feel about it. You know, I have plenty of moments where um, I feel kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place because I know I can't go back to the world that I came from, but I'm very much afraid of the new world that's coming. And there's things uh, about that new world that seems to be coming, that seems to be breaking in, that seem really disordered and chaotic. And I see plenty of things happening there. Sometimes a rush to judgment, to be sure. Um, sometimes I absolutely can see a sort of mob instinct or a mob mentality uh, that comes on the, you know, on on, on this you know, along with this new frontier, just like with the old one. All of that stuff frightens me, but here's my thing. Even where it gets messy and even where it's not um, all worked out in a neat, ordered, clean way doesn't mean it's not the Holy Spirit. Because I will say it once again, it is part and parcel of the work of the Spirit, of the wind of the Spirit, to blow through our institutions, to blow through our houses of worship, to blow through Congress, to blow through the White House, to blow through. Whenever you 
put the Holy Spirit into a room where there has been order, there is inevitably a kind of disorder that comes. There is a chaos that comes. And we can be afraid of that. We can try to quench it. Or we can look for God in the midst of it. Or we can ask the critical question, where is God in this violent shaking? Could it be? Could it be that some of the foundations that we've built upon have not been firm, have not been healthy, have not been good? I don't want to be too preachy all the times, but especially for those of you who do listen who are followers of Jesus. You know, I can't help but think about when Jesus himself said, and you know, it's from the Sermon on the Mount, but a lot of you learned about it in Sunday school. And there was a wonderful little Sunday school song. Do you remember it? The wise man built his house upon the rock. I don't even hear it, but I'm actually making the hand gestures. Remember the wise man who built his house upon the rock? And the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. Now you understand what I'll sing publicly. But you, you remember the little song. And it's a fun, catchy Sunday school song. But what was the whole point of that passage to begin with? Jesus says, anyone who hears and does these words of mine will be like a wise man who's built his house upon the rock. But he who hears these words of mine and does not do them. It's like the man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain does come and the floods do rise. And it washes away. And the explicit point there, and please do not miss this, by the way is that this is not in uh, a broad stroke way. This is not about, uh, while I believe all scripture is inspired by God, this is not about the word of God broadly speaking. Jesus is specifically referring to his own words and his own teaching. The words he's referring to in Matthew 7 are his own teaching. The wise man is the one, or the wise woman, who builds their house on the teaching of Jesus on those beatitudes that bless the poor and the meek and the weak and the wounded, on that teaching about blessing our enemies and turning the other cheek, on that radical teaching that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That's the foundation that we're supposed to build on. And I don't know any serious-minded person that can contend that white evangelical Christianity in North America in particular has been built on the words of Jesus. No one thinks that. No one outside the church thinks that. Seriously, no one inside the church thinks that. It feels like it's been anything but on the words of Jesus. And then the waves start coming, the flood starts rising, and we think it's the devil. <laughs> and we think and uh, oh, and we think it's some kind of catastrophe. And yet I can't help but think that there's not something of, never used a phrase like this before, the sweet judgment of God coming. That this flood brings a kind of cleansing, that this shaking is actually merciful. Because the fact of the matter is that the faith that so many of us have is not one worth passing along to our sons and daughters and especially the more bound that it's become with uh, politics of empire rather than politics of the kingdom. This is not a thing that's worth kingdom. It's worth keeping, rather. This is a thing that's way too diseased and ravaged and problematic to try to pass down to our kids. Uh, so I've been fond of saying the last couple of years, if the, faith that, if the faith that we hand to our kids is 
proven to be misogynistic and racist and homophobic, if the faith that we hand over is proven to do more harm to the world than good, if it causes people to try to escape the world rather than to remake it, then our kids are not wrong to reject it. Maybe the, maybe the kids are right, you know. That's very much what I see happening in our time. So I know I talk like this every so often, but I just feel the need to remind y'all tonight that the things that can be shaken need to be shaken. They need to be, and that the Spirit of God absolutely is in the shaking. I don't know where all this is headed uh, politically. That's not quite in my wheelhouse or in my bag. But uh, uh, so I just do what I feel called to do, and what I do feel like is kind of within my within my jurisdiction. And that's to ask you to look for God in the midst of it. And instead of freaking out, and instead of um, kind of willing and moaning about it, to look at where and how God might bring liberation here. And I think because man, this is really crucial to me, right? Remember when Jesus says that uh, the spirit is like the wind and, uh, and those who are born of the spirit are like the wind then. No one knows where they come from or where they're going. So since the spirit is like the wind in this way, we have to remember that when the wind of the spirit comes, and sometimes that wind comes in a rushing, violent way, when the wind comes, if we are bendable, if we are bendable, then when the wind comes in a violent way, then we can move with the wind then we're adaptable. That's what it looks like to be a people of the Spirit, is not to be so resolved and resolute and dug in, but to be movable. God of the Exodus is always on the move. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of the future, breaking into our present. The Spirit is always on the move. People of the Spirit are bendable when the wind comes. But if we stiffen our necks, if we harden ourselves right, then that wind that otherwise could take us to new places, that wind that might actually carry us into a new adventure, that wind that actually might come bringing freshness and might even bring us the breath of God, that wind that could bring us revolution, that wind that could bring renewal is the same wind that can break and shatter us if we resist it from a posture of resistance. And y'all, in all these episodes where we talk so much about the love of God, that right there illustrates it maybe better than uh, any, any other way I would know to say it, is that this is true in general to me about God's posture to the world. God's posture to the world is always a posture of love. The, the definitive final word of God is Jesus. And Jesus is the one fully, who fully reveals God on the cross, that while even being crucified is saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. That's who God is. That's who God has revealed to us to be. So that means that God's last word to us is Jesus. God's final declarative word to us is love. But even love from a posture of resistance feels like torment and torture. Unconditional love, radical love, when we're from a place of resistance, when we stiffen ourselves, that's what judgment looks like. What comes from God either way is going to be love, but love experienced from a place of resistance will feel like torment. Love experienced from a place where we dig in our heels and we're trying to push back and we become brittle feels like it's going to shatter us. That's what judgment looks like. 
But yet the very moment that we open our hands instead of clenching our fists, the very moment that we release our hands, and it can be such a subtle shift in posture that instead of thinking it's all falling apart and saying, whoa, I think about that a lot these days. I've used that image a lot of, you know, of the woe to the we, being that moment of the roller coaster where instead you put your hands straight up and you say we, and you know that this is, this thing is going downhill with or without your consent. So you move with it. You move with the wind instead of against it. You move with the wind to move with the wind of the spirit. That's why I feel like so many of us are suffering in ways that are unnecessary sometimes is because we see all these things shifting and changing and we try to exercise control. Um, there's that wonderful, uh, and I say wonderful, it's actually terrifying, right? But it's instructive story in the Old Testament where the ark of God is in this processional, it's in a parade, and there's a man named Uzzah who when the ox stumbles and the ark trembles, he reaches out his hands and he tries to steady the ark. And of course, immediately he's struck dead and he dies. And I think the point even in that story is that the ark of God, the presence of God is not for us to steady. We, it's, it's not our place to try to steady things. It's not our place because that often is an exercise in control. And what it looks like to be people of the spirit is we let God be God. We let the wind blow and we're to be the people who cooperate with the wind rather than work against it. Well, that got a whole lot more preachy than uh, I meant for it to, and maybe you feel like I came a long way from impeachment, and perhaps I have. Uh, I say this as a person who's not afraid. I say this as a person who's not afraid of what's coming. I say this as a person who has hope because I believe that the kingdom of God uh, is coming and his will be done ultimately somehow, some way on earth as it is in heaven, and that doesn't happen unless some of these existing structures um, that are not healthy and are not good and that are often oppressive are somehow removed. I want to encourage you to see God in the shaking. And if you've heard me say that again, this is kind of repetitive. Well, it's the main thing I have to say. And I feel like I need to keep saying that because we're not hearing it and because I'm not hearing it. And I have to tell myself again every day because I still get just as queasy and as unsettled as anybody else that God is in this shaking. And that in the destabilization is an opportunity to trust. And in trust is liberation. In trust is freedom. Is in trust is the spirit of the future taking us into the things of God and taking us into the beauty of Jesus. That's what I believe. So I pray this simple prayer over you. God, all of your kids who are listening right now, wherever they come from, whatever they're dealing with, God, I pray that you would give them grace to open their hands. I pray that you release us from control and release us from our need to dictate and to steer. And I pray that uh, whether we think about these sort of uh, national meta kind of things that are too big for us in some ways, really, or whether we think about the smallest details of our lives, would you teach us how to be people that bend rather than to be the stiff-necked people that break? Let us not be brittle, but let us be bendable. Let us be movable. Let us see that adaptability is exactly what it means to be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, and how we do want to walk in the Spirit where uh, we don't have to be threatened and we don't have to be intimidated and we don't have to be afraid, but we can find even the violent wind, uh, even that sometimes what can feel like hurricane force kind of wind, that we can, that we can feel also something of the 
renewing breeze of God coming in through the window. (laughs) So stir us up in whatever ways that we need to be stirred up. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for joining me for today's rant slash sermon slash whatever it is I just did. I love you all a lot. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow along with Chris Green and Brad Jersey. That's going to be a lot of fun. Take care.